Okay. Uh, can we do this again? I just dropped my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Welcome back to a new episode of The Talk, the podcast about changing the world from Nordea private banking. I am Walter Nesland, and today we are going to talk about artificial intelligence. The super-hyped AI field is perhaps best described as the industrial revolution of information. With AI, we can automate tasks that would otherwise require massive amounts of human work to get to the same result, if indeed we could get there at all. While extremely valuable and useful in many fields, creating AI systems from scratch is beyond the capabilities and resources of many companies. One Swedish company called Peltarion set out to change all that with a platform that makes AI development and deployment accessible to everybody. And this, as we will hear, makes things very interesting. Because when AI meets real domain expertise from different fields, magical things happen. And my guest today is the co-founder and CEO of Peltarion, Luka Strenkovic Fries. I'm very excited about this interview because you are the CEO of one of the coolest companies in one of the hottest industries, which is um, AI. If you would d- just describe to me, Peltarion, and to the listeners, what is the, the brief pitch? Of course, and thanks for having me, Walter. So uh, Peltarion uh, basically uh, provides a platform that makes it possible for non-AI experts to build cutting-edge AI systems and put them into production. Uh, We also help companies to get started and start actually using uh, AI in production. We usually refer to it as bootstrap and scale, so we get them started and make sure that they can scale it themselves and take over. It's almost like all, I guess, all technology in general, but especially programming, that it kind of goes towards higher-level languages and higher-level functionality, more abstract functionality. Yeah, exactly. And... uh, of course, AI has been, become a very popular term and it's becoming more and more popular and more and more inclusive. But if you look at the technology that's actually carrying this uh, revolution and that uh, started it, it's deep learning, which is uh, a modern take on artificial neural networks. And if you look at the companies that actually use it in production and have value from it, you'll find there are very few. It's mostly dominated by uh, the tech giants uh, like Google, Microsoft, Facebook, and so on. So what we are trying to accomplish is to make this far easier, far more affordable so that regular companies can actually benefit from the technology. What is AI? How do we define that? So my the definition that I use, usually use is that it's a software technology that can be used to solve tasks that require intelligence. That's a very broad definition. Now, personally, when I talk about AI, I usually also add the requirement that it's the sort of current generation, the latest, since it's an, it's an old field where AI has been around for 50 years or so. Right. It's, I mean, it, I guess some form of quotation marks AI, I guess, uh, were the first chess games and, and that kind of thing. Now we, what, now we demand it to me. I guess self-learning systems is, uh, is kind of where it's at today. So you, you don't need the, the structured data in the same way. It's more like you throw things at it and see what happens. Exactly. So basically the progression has been that um, the first versions of AI that came around and when, when the, the, the name was invented were 
expert system, basically a large system, a large systems of uh, conditions and equations and so on that were supposed to adapt to solve tasks that required logic and uh, sort of high level processing. Then that hit a dead end and uh, another field called machine learning subfield was, was born, which was data-based that they systems that learn from data. One of these uh, called artificial neural networks that are vaguely inspired by how the brain works, but you shouldn't read too much into it because it, there's still lots of difference. But anyway, that was became popular in the, the 80s and 90s and looked very promising, but didn't quite deliver. Then around 2012, 2013 in academia, suddenly results are beginning to emerge with the same technology, basically these artificial neural networks, but with much larger data sets and with much larger neural networks. So they got it mostly right there in the 80s and 90s, but uh, the compute power and the data wasn't there. So when that sort of combined, then what we are seeing today happened, the sort of big push of AI that can actually solve a lot of problems that previously were only in the domain of what humans could solve. Yeah, we, we, I guess we didn't even, the data didn't even exist at the time, right? We didn't have, I mean, no. a large data set at the time was like, I don't know, 20,000 images maybe or something. Oh, no, no. <laughs> a large data set back, back then, uh, <laughs> when, when I was at, uh, studied at KTH, was it like uh, in, in the 2000s, early 2000s, then it's a large data set was like a couple of hundred images right yeah yeah so and now we're dealing with hundreds of millions of images routinely and the same with these uh the neural networks the, the sort of the size of them that's measured in the the parameters that they have the number of interconnections back then a large neural network could uh have a i'll say a thousand or so connections and now we're talking about billions of connections so it's been Many orders of magnitude uh, change. It's easy to kind of get lost in the in the technology and and the complexities uh, when you talk about AI. But if we if we bring it back to the basics, where is AI most used today in in a way that is actually useful and profitable? So I would say in uh, medtech, uh, then also in any engineer heavy company. We're also uh, seeing a lot of in uh, industry, uh, fintech, insurance, and then, of course, the big tech companies. They are the ones that are really gone full out and are truly AI-first companies. And as a consumer, you meet it in products like maybe Siri or that kind of thing? Or where, where do we mostly meet it in our daily lives? Of course, there, there's a bunch of consumer things like the, the, the voice assistants and thing, things like that, or when you do a Google search or things like that. But even if you have a relatively modern phone, like from the past two years, everything through battery performance to antenna performance and things, things like that are uh, optimized by through the use of AI. When you're using the phone network in general, say here in Sweden, where uh, there are Ericsson base stations, they, they will be using various forms of AI to optimize uh, signal quality and things like that. So it's uh, emerging in uh, quite a few areas where you don't see it, but it's just making things better. Your company has been around since 2004. So you've seen the entire evolution from these super primitive systems to where we are at now, which I guess we will look at as 
equally primitive in 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 another <laughs> five years. Yeah, no, no, it was uh, in a way surprising that uh, it happened to be exactly the area that we had chosen to work in that really exploded. When when I look at your company and and what you've done and how you worked for so long on something and I guess just recently a couple of years ago people really started pushing a lot of money into it and it became this hot topic. Have you felt that you were super early and just waiting for it to boom or how has it been for you as a like as an entrepreneur? I think one of the the big things is that uh, me and Mons my co-founder when we started this thing were pretty clueless about the market conditions and uh, where the technology was and that it wasn't going to boom anytime soon when we started the company in 2004. It was more of a conviction that this has to be the right way to do it. The way that we develop software by explicitly writing everything, it couldn't be the most, the best way. As we see, I mean, a human brain is capable of learning things without really explicit coding. So it was a conviction that the that this technology, this it's the right way. Until we started in taking external financing, we were cash flow positive. So we, I mean, we did make a living out of it, but it was just the two of us. And you're kind of, I guess you were kind of young when you started and, and still students maybe even? Yes, yes. The, the product that we had, which was a development environment for building these neural networks, uh, we partly built as part of our master's thesis. What has been driving you through all these years? That's a good question. It, the, I think one of the things is the endless optimism that the uh, sort of uh, breakthrough is just around the corner. That's why I think one one of the sort of necessary things. Working with something that you really love. We really enjoyed developing the product that we did. And uh, at that point, I mean, we it was working commercially. It, it's just we weren't at the position to scale. The market wasn't there. And I, I think inertia to some degree that uh, w- once you're <laughs> working within a field, it takes some energy to move to another field. <laughs> You would never forgive yourself <laughs> if you left it to yeah. somebody else. We know uh, figured a it out. bunch of our colleagues that were uh, sort of start, uh, starting off when we were, but uh, e- ended it like a few years before <laughs> the big boom. It was for the first, so since 2004 to 2016, so the, for the first 12 years, it was me and my uh, co-founder, Monsesen. And then his dad helped out with some of the commercial things, with sales meetings and things like that. But it was a very small operation. Yeah, you and Mons, then you've, you've you've been running this for what sixteen years yes. now. How do you keep a relationship like that alive for sixteen years? That you could probably coach a lot of couples out there. Yeah, I mean uh, th- that that's also an interesting sort of. Uh, first, Mons and I are. Even though we, uh, we we sort of we have the same technical background, and back in the day we did our work was more or less the same, but we are very different. He's the sort of deep thinker, the one who goes into detail, who makes sure something is of very high quality and that it, it it works. Well, I was sort of the fast one that made things happen and pushed things along. So basically, if uh, had it just been me then our first product would have just sucked. And had it been just months, it would have never been uh, finished and never delivered. So we sort of found a nice, nice complementary thing there. 
that seems to be the the recipe if, if, from everything from Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak to I mean there are a ton of examples of of, of um, duos that look like that. Well, possibly, possibly, uh, and it's then it's also I mean uh, I, I, I mean we used to yell at each other so much in the sort of early early years. <laughs> it would it was and then it got more chilled sort of over the time and uh, now when we started expanding and went like from two to a hundred people we are Mons and I are I should say worryingly in agreement with uh, everything on the technology front which means that we haven't yet reached the level <laughs> with the platform where we are sort of uh, where, where we would disagree with we're still uh, sort of co- covering the basics yeah you've been together as a duo a founding duo for so long and suddenly you're a big company now what happened did have you have you sat down and celebrated have you uh, uh what do you how, how do you deal with that i think uh when we got the first investment from from eqt we uh, we went out for a beer and there there was uh ah there was this beer it was called like big big fat money or something like that <laughs> No, uh, it, that. So it's easy to think that when you're two and you, you sort of you have control of every aspect of the company and sort of know everything that's going on, and you, your sort of idea of growing is you think that it's it's going to be the same but bigger, but it isn't. Uh, essentially, you you let go control as more or more uh, people come in and people have expertise that uh, you you don't have, and that's a completely different feeling. So it's more what I expect or think that uh, a person who has an employment at, uh, uh, at the place, like an, uh, being an employee rather than uh, just having the whole responsibility. Of course, I don't know because I've never actually been employed anywhere <laughs> else. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> Is there anything you feel that we, we, should, have, uh, we should have talked about that, uh, that we haven't talked about yet? I think if we... Uh, uh move a bit away of, from Pultarion and it's um, it is Pultarion related of course but if we look at uh Sweden Europe and the world in terms of uh where we are and what needs to be done and uh I don't think everything has to be a competition I don't think the world is a zero sum game that because it's it's something is good for China is that it's bad for Sweden I don't think that at all but I also think that at some point we need to produce something of value in uh, in Sweden, in Europe. And as industry and things of that are getting automated over time, and we, if we want to be able to provide something that the rest of the world wants and to be competitive there, we're not doing super well on the AI front. If you look at the sort of just the, the current development in the past two years within AI, all of the big things have come from either Google, Facebook, or OpenAI, which is Microsoft-backed and a couple of other these things. A lot of things are happening in China. You're seeing that on the academic front. They're a bit more closed about what's happening, not sharing the same way as the uh, American companies are doing. But it, there are massive, massive investments. And what we are seeing in Europe is often too little too late. It comes like, oh yeah, let's uh, let's open a data center and uh, provide the, the data power to uh, academia. Uh, yeah, that's fine, but you're not going to be able to comp- to be on par with 
Google or any other of the world leading players. And I think there, a fundamental shift in uh, risk taking is sort of is needed. I think what's make Google and others possible is the willingness of investors in the US to think long term and to make big bets on something that's high risk and that may not pay off. But when it pays off, it pays off massively. In Europe, investors are still too comfortable in to invest into growth companies that like have some proven market track, uh, traction and that can, where they can look at financial numbers and say like, yeah, okay, we're going to get a decent return on investment on this. So I think fundamentally, the approach to investment has to, has to change. And there are, there are exceptions. I mean, we have uh, funds like Atomico Equity Ventures. And fortunately for us, we also have here in Sweden, in our area, the Wallenbergs who are willing to make these kind of long-term bets. But as a whole in Europe, we're pretty bad at it. It seems obvious that this is going to be a hugely important field. I mean, it's, it's basically the, the industrial revolution of information. And we know it's yes. coming. And uh, we, we're a small country in a small region, at least in the, in the Nordics, and we need to be exporting something. Exactly. No? <laughs> we've, exactly like we've been doing before. So yeah, I, I completely agree with you that, that this should be a field where uh, we could put a lot of investment in and expect uh, some very interesting things to, to happen. Yes. And fortunately for us, uh, you are doing that. Uh, you're doing the work and somebody is investing in you or some, some funds are. And we're all very much looking forward to see where you're going to take this next. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Talk, the podcast about changing the world from Nordea Private Banking. I'm Walter Naslund, and for the rest of this season, I'll be taking you through a total of 12 interviews with the three most interesting entrepreneurs we can think of from the four Nordic countries. And the lineup we have is fantastic. So hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of them. And thanks again. Have a great day.